we're going to go ahead and get into the Word tonight. Are you ready? Well, you know, recently, Pastor Brenda and I took a trip. We took a jet to Tulsa, Oklahoma. She was one of the speakers at Kindle the Flame at Ramah Bible Training Church or Ramah Bible Training College. And, oh, it was such a glorious women's conference. About 1,500, 2,000 women there gathered. And Pastor Brenda, you would have been so very proud of her. She did an amazing job. And so, you know, as we were looking into our flights, we decided we would check the weather because that's a good thing to do. And the weather report showed that there was thunder and lightning storms in the forecast for the trip. So the first thing that we do is we decide we're going to get into prayer about that. Because how many of you know it's not so much fun to fly in that kind of weather? So, you know, the wind currents, they go up and down, and the thunderstorms create turbulence. And so, you know, I thought I would start off by defining the word turbulence, because how many of you ever taken a flight and experienced air turbulence? It's really not a fun thing to experience. And the definition of the word turbulence means this. It's the state or quality of being turbulent, such as... Sudden, violent movements of air, a state of confusion or disorder, irregular movements of air current. It's when the ride gets rough, when the plane hits turbulence. So the cause of turbulence is many different things. It can be caused by thunder and lightning clouds. It can be caused by what's called cat C-A-T, which is clear air turbulence. And that kind of turbulence is when um, the movement of air masses. It's in the absence of really seeing anything like clouds or thunderstorms or any such thing like that. It's, it's really just comes out of nowhere. And it's caused by bodies of air that move at a wildly, wildly different speed. And it causes the turbulence as they meet together. Then there's also turbulence that's caused by aircraft wake um, vortex. <laughs> and this is the kind of turbulence that aircraft itself creates. So, for example, like, have you ever been in a boat and that boat has a wake that comes behind it? Well, the same thing is true in air traffic. The, the jets make a wake. And oftentimes, even the smaller aircraft get caught up in that wake, and that, too, can cause turbulence. But let's talk a little bit about the effect of turbulence on the aircraft. You know, it causes it to shake. It causes it to move up and down erratically from side to side. Amen? It can be distressing. It can be, it can be frightful. It can create fear that that plane is somehow going to go out of control and it's going to crash and it's going to break apart. I mean, that's where your thoughts can go when you're experiencing turbulence in flight. But generally speaking, turbulence is quite harmless. There's different degrees of turbulence, of course, and if it's violent turbulence, maybe that's another thing. But there's different factors that bring about, as we mentioned before, 
air turbulence. So during our flight to Tulsa, we experienced some of that air turbulence. But you know what the pilot did? The pilot did a simple maneuver. He decided to climb and fly above the storm, above the turbulence, at a higher altitude. You see where I'm going, church? You know, um, pilots will endeavor to always fly around the storm. They will always fly above and not beneath it. And as we climb to a higher altitude, you know what I noticed? I noticed that I had a different vantage point. I had a different perspective about that storm. You know, when you're flying it, you can't really see much. But when you rise above it and you look down, it can look very different. And as you rise above the storm, you begin to see the beautiful clear sky. I mean, it's clear above the storm. It's beautiful above the storm. I mean, you can look down and you can even see that storm and you can see beauty in it. But it's a different perspective, a different vantage point. Here's what I know about the storms of life. We call them the fray. I've always uh, said this. I've been in the storm. I've been beneath the storm. And I've been above the storm. And above is better. Amen? How many of you will agree with that? Above is better. We always need to endeavor to live above the fray. As a matter of fact, that's the title of my message tonight. Living above the fray. Turbulence or the fray in life, it'll get your attention. The sudden disruptions, the storms of life, and even when life takes a different turn than what we had planned or anticipated, it causes turbulence. And that turbulence does the same thing that it does in midair. It causes a certain jolt in your system. And it tries to create fear. Fear of what? Well, fear of the unknown. How about fear of death? You know, your thoughts will always try to take you there. The enemy will try to give you thoughts that will take you there. Other people will try to tell you why you should go there. And so it's up to you to change that thought and that pattern so that you can live above and not beneath the storms of life. Amen? Amen. Jesus himself told us that we would experience turbulence in life. He said in John chapter 16 and verse 33 in the Amplified, I have told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace. And confidence. For in the world you will have tribulation and trials and distress and frustration. But be of good cheer. Take courage. Be confident, certain, undaunted. 
Why? Because he tells us why. I've overcome the world and I have deprived it of power to harm you and have conquered it for you. And we have something church. We have exceeding great and precious promises that by these we can escape the corruption that is in the world. Amen. Amen. By his word, by his promises. And I love how Jesus says there, take courage. You've got to take it. Like if I come over here to Pastor Tom and he has his cell phone and I said, I need to make a call. I've got to take the phone, amen, to make the call. If he keeps it in his hand, it doesn't do me any good. I have to do something. I have to initiate. I have to. It's a verb. Take. Amen. You've got to take courage. There you go. Be of the good courage. Glory. PT. Glory. <laughs> Pastor Tom says glory. Be of good courage. Hallelujah. Be confident. God's with you on this journey. He's in the boat. He's not going to let you go under. And even when you start off walking on the water like Peter did, glory to God, Peter walked on water. And when he began to look around, he began to see the wind. When he began to allow his senses to be affected by his environment, what did Jesus do? Did he say, oh, forget you, you of little faith? No. He simply got out of the boat and he bent down and with great mercy and compassion and love, he lifted him up out of the water. Amen. And so he'll lift you too. Hallelujah. Live above the fray. Everybody say it. I will will. live above the fray. Let's define the word fray. Webster's defines the word fray as to wear out or to shred. It also, in parentheses, says fret. It also says that it's to separate the threads at the edge of a cloth. To show signs of effect, of strain, such as a person's nerves or temper that is frayed. Causing a person to be edgy, overtaxed, tense, stressed, irritated. It also means a worn spot. Something that's worn. When it's worn, it gets thin. It means to be tattered, to be ragged, unraveled at the edge through constant rubbing or irritation. To be frightened away. Have you ever seen a rope that was frayed? A rope that is frayed, what happens to it? It loses its strength. It comes apart. I have a little picture here. I don't know that y'all could see it. But it's a frayed rope. Rise above the fray. And I'm sure you have all could say you've experienced this kind of Situation where you feel frayed. You feel like you're coming apart. You feel like you've lost your strength. You know? But God, Jesus said, be 
of good cheer. Take courage. It's ours for the taken. Amen? Amen. Living above the fray. You know, we are the pilots of our lives. And we have to decide to change our altitude and to rise above the fray. You have to change your altitude by changing your attitude. Amen. And so that's point one on how you live above the fray. You have to have the right mental attitude. Have the mind of Christ. Have the attitude of Christ. Have the heart of Christ. If you don't know what that is, you can get into the scriptures and you can discover Because the word says that when you seek him, you're going to do what? You're going to find him. Amen. In Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse 13, it says, And the Lord shall make thee the head and not the tail. And thou shall be what? Above only and not beneath. If you will hearken unto the commandments of the Lord. Amen. To observe to do them. So who is the one that is blessed? The one who is the doer of the word. Not just the hearer, not just the rejoicer, not just the one that comes together during service and has a great time running around the building. No, it's the one that does the word day in and day out, moment by moment, in the good times, in the bad times, in the ugly times. You're doing the word. Amen. Rising above. That's how you rise above. You do the word. You hearken to the voice of his word. And his word causes you to ride on the high places in the earth. Amen? Not the low places. The high places. As a matter of fact, Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 4 through 7 says this. But God who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherein he loved us. God loves us. He loves you. He has a plan for you. He doesn't want you to live in the fray. He wants you to live above it. It says here that even when we were in sin, hath he quickened us together with Christ. By grace, you are saved. And he has raised us up together and made us to sit together where? In heavenly places with Christ. Hallelujah. Now that's positionally. But we also want to have it experientially, right? So that's what we're talking about tonight. Mm, Glory to God. To live above the fray, we must step out of it. And we must rise above it. Let's look at Psalms chapter 46 in the message version. It says this. God is a safe place to hide. Ready to help when we need him. Oh, that's a good word. We stand fearless at the cliffed edge of doom. Courageous in sea storms and earthquake. Before the rush and the roar of the oceans, the tremors that shift the mountains. Attention all, see the marvels of God. 
He plants flowers and trees over all the earth. He bans wars from pole to pole, and he breaks all the weapons across his knee. Then it says this. I love this. Um, Step out of the traffic. Take a long, loving look at me. I'm your most high God. Above what? Politics and everything. Then it goes on to say, Jacob's wrestling God fights for us. God of angels army protects us. Hallelujah. Yes, there is the fray of politics. And you know what? I'm going to do what the word says to do. I'm going to step out of the fray. How about you? I mean, that fray will pull you down because it is an evil spirit. There's a spirit of strife and division that we have to keep under our feet And we have to step out of that fray and we have to rise above it. Amen. Do you know, church, that from the very beginning of our nation, we have had people disagree on how to achieve life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? You know, I was thinking about Thomas Jefferson. You know, I love to teach on this kind of thing. But Thomas Jefferson and John Adams, they were the last surviving members of the original American revolutionaries who stood up against the British Empire, forged a new political system, helped to write the Declaration of Independence, and form our new colonies. Amen? But did you know, however, while they both believed in democracy and life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness, they have differences of opinion on how to accomplish those ideals. And over time, it caused such a division in their relationship that they didn't even speak for like 12 years. Yep. And it was Benjamin Rush, who was an amazing man of God. He was one of our first, you know, attorney generals. And um, he wrote to, they wrote a lot of letters to each other. And he wrote and compelled John Adams to open his heart. You know, it was the love of God that helped John Adams to rise above the fray. There was a lot of things going on even back then. A lot of lies written inside the newspapers. You know, all this stuff that goes back and forth today. You think that's something new. Oh, no, it's not new. It's the same spirit. It's the same spirit. And it's just jumped on over and now it's just magnified because of the internet and because of TV and because of different people pushing their opinions. Amen. But it was going on back there. It was the same spirit. And you know, um, God bless. Oh, Benjamin Rush was such an amazing man. But um, again, he compelled the love of God, compelled uh, John Adams to write Jefferson. I mean, they wrote something like, 398 letters to each other. And so that love caused a reconciliation between the two. And what was so interesting about their lives that on July 4th, 1826, at the age of 90 years old, Adams laid on his deathbed, 
while the country celebrated Independence Day. His last words were, Thomas Jefferson still survives. However, he was mistaken because just five hours earlier, on the very same day, the 4th of July, Independence Day, he too had died. And so the two died on the very same day. They took their flight to heaven together. Isn't that amazing? Doesn't that sound like God? Doesn't that sound like the love of God coming into that situation, intervening into the course of it, and taking them both up above on the very same day? Hallelujah. That is so beautiful. But you know, God has continued through all these years to bless America. America's been through a lot, but he shed his grace on thee. You know, we've been through wars. We've been through, you know, I, I, you know, so many things as a nation. But God has brought us through. And guess what? He's going to continue to fulfill the call of God on this nation. As we seek him, as we pray, as we humble ourselves, as we crave for him, desire of, and require of necessity. Amen. He's going to heal our land. He's always done that. We had the first awakening. We had the second awakening. We're ready for an awakening in our nation. Amen. But you know, we've got to live above the fray. We've got to live above the fray. People still disagree on how to achieve life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But God is bigger than all of that. And the prayers of the saints. is going to preserve our nation. So keep praying. Keep living above the fray. Don't get down in it. Don't entertain it, you know? Every time I feel like my emotions are being pulled by it, I just separate myself from it. And you're going to have to do that too if you want to live in peace, if you want to live above the fray of politics. Amen? you got to look up and take a long, loving look at our most high God. you got to step out of the traffic. Amen? Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Sometimes you just got to turn the TV off. Shut off the news. Hallelujah. And pray. And pray. So... Let's talk a little bit about staying now the fray of strife. Since we've kind of entered that subject a little bit, let's turn to Mark chapter 9 and verse 33 in the NLT New Living Testament version. The disciples here were in strife. They were arguing. They had division. They were in the fray. Strife is the fray. You know, and it starts in verse 33, and it says this. After they arrived at Compertium and settled in a house, Jesus asked his disciples, What were you discussing out there on the road? He knew they were arguing and in strife. Verse 34. But they didn't answer because they had been arguing about which of them was going to be what? The greatest. He sat down, called the 12 disciples over to him, and he said, Whosoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. Then he put his 
Then he put a little child among them. And taking the child in his arms, he said unto them, Anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes not only me, but welcomes my father who sent me. You know, he used that example because sometimes people dismiss children. And Jesus was saying, to be the greatest, you got to become as a little child. To be the greatest, you can't be first, you got to be last. Because why? You're serving. You're down on one knee with a towel and you're serving. And that's the last example that Jesus gave us, was washing the feet of the disciples. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. It's the little foxes that spoil the vine. The little foxes that come and eat at the roots of the vine and kill the vine. And so the spirit of strife and the spirit of envy, because that what, what, that's what was entering in there, it brings confusion, division, and every evil work. You know, it's like mud. It's easy to step into but not so easy to step out of. Amen? And you'll see the evidence that you've been in it. (laughs) So, as much as possible, live in peace and not in the fray. Choose to live above it. Labor to enter into that place of rest and peace. Walk in love. Strife never offers words of wisdom. There's a quote by Mark Twain that I like. It says, It's far better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak and to remove all doubt. Amen? So, living above the phrase, sometimes you have to choose not to contend with one another. So as much as possible, live at peace. How do you do that? You got a minor on the minors and major on the majors. Because everything is not a crisis. And some things, it's just okay to disagree. We can disagree to disagree. Amen? And that's all right. But contending and striving and comparing... Envying, strife, divisions. It does not bring the glory of God. It brings every evil work. So I don't want any evil work in my pathway. I want the work of the Lord in my pathway. I want blessings in my pathway. So I'm going to observe to do the word. And as much as lies within me, I'm going to live at peace with others and not in the fray. Amen? Sometimes a soft answer will turn away wrath. And sometimes you just have to employ patience with other people. I'm so glad that people are patient with me. Sometimes, you know, you just got to recognize maybe it's not them, maybe it's you. Maybe you're just tired or irritated. Or maybe they need prayer. 
Maybe they need love sewn to them. Amen. So whatever it is, God will show you. Just like Pastor Tom talked about this morning. As you pray, God will show you the root that's producing the fruit. Let's talk about the fray of fear. And that's lack of provision is what we're going to center in on. There's so many areas that fear comes against, but let's talk about provision. So following the count of Jesus feeding the multitude, which was about 5,000 with two fish and five loaves of bread from that little boy's lunch. Remember the little boy who offered his lunch because he believed that Jesus could do something with it. And he did. He did a miracle. Well, after that incident happened, Jesus got into the boat with the disciples and they headed over to the other side. And as they were heading over to the other side, Jesus was pondering some things and he began to speak. Well, you know, Jesus is not going to speak in the natural. He's going to speak in the spirit. He's going to speak of things above, not things beneath. And he began to say, take heed. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And so the disciples sat there in the boat and they scratched their head and they thought, oh no, we only brought one loaf of bread. And they said to Jesus, is that because we've only brought one loaf of bread and we have no bread for lunch? And I'll tell you what, (laughs) can you imagine what Jesus must have thought? There's no revelation flowing here today. Disciples were thinking naturally. They're thinking of bread. And they responded in fear. What? No lunch? No food? They just experienced a miracle. And not just one, multiple. Where, you know, 4,000 people were fed with two fish and five loaves of bread. Now, have you ever been there? God just does a miracle for you and you're rejoicing and you're living in it and you turn around and there's a suddenly and you go, what? No bread? Hallelujah. So we can't be too hard on them. We've got to take care of ourselves, amen, to make sure that we're thinking, spiritually speaking, with the revelation of heaven because we want revelation, amen, in the words of Jesus. And so, even though they had just experienced that, they were reasoning. And Jesus actually said to them, what do you reason that we have no bread? Don't you know my nature? Don't you know my nature's love? Jesus was interested in their process of thinking. Are you considering? Why are you considering this bread? Why are you considering this reality that really violates how I live? Why are you considering this reality that violates what I've called you to do? Amen? Reasoning always starts with what you don't have. Stay out of the fray. Turn that thought around and say, Oh, thank you, Lord. I have two fish 
and I have five loaves of bread and I know you can do something with it. Amen? Glory to God. The fray of worry. We've got to think another way. Amen? Worry is faith contaminated. Contaminated by fear. Worry, fear, anxiety, it has a root. And the root begins with a seed. A seed that's left unchecked and begins to grow in your thinking. It grows, you know, in the dark. It germinates in the dark. The thought processes and emotions, again, you're thinking about something, it's growing on the inside. If you don't take that thought captive and bring it into the obedience of Christ and into obedience of the Word of God, that thought is going to grow. And it's, then it's going to become an imagination where you're just seeing it. And as that imagination takes root, it becomes a stronghold. Amen? And so you got to do something with that thought. Because the thought is going to produce an emotion. And that emotion is going to produce a behavior. So you've got to debate that thought. And you've got to make sure that that thought of fear, again, is held captive. And you replace it with the thought of God. What does God say about my situation? What does God say about this? Because I tell you, if you let it go, a little leaven does what? Leavens the whole lump. And in making bread, leaven or yeast is what we use. Leaven is a microorganism. And leaven, it's a live single cell that's called fungus. It remains dormant until it becomes in contact with warm water. And once it comes in contact with one warm water, it activates the yeast and it begins to feed on the sugar in the flour and it begins to grow. It releases what's called carbon dioxide, which cannot escape because the dough is elastic and it's stretchable. And that gas that produces and expands makes the dough rise. So the yeast does what? It works its way through the dough, affecting the whole of it. And in the same way, Jesus was warning the disciples about the leaven of the Pharisees because it was about to work its way into their process of thinking. And so we have to put a stop when... Thoughts come to us that are contrary to the word of God. And the battle is in where? The mind. Amen? Amen. So again, what are we going to do, church? We're not going to allow it to affect our thinking because if it affects our thinking, it's going to affect our believing. And remember, leaven is a living thing. So make sure it's not living in you. 
The process of your thinking will produce an end result. It's either fear or faith. It's either peace or anxiety. It's either love or hate. You've got to renew your mind to think in line with God's word. What does God's word say? You've got to go seek after that. You know, sometimes you might feel like, I just can't do this. What does God's word say? I can. Go ahead, church. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, who gives me the ability. You can do it. So you want to meditate on that and let that become your imagination. Let that become the stronghold of your soul and your mind. And that's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. You've got to have this way of living so that you're living and you're thinking in line with what the scriptures say, with what God has said. Amen. Amen. Make a decision to live above the fray. Amen. Despite the discomfort, despite the fear that it produces, the turbulence or the fray in life, you know what? Sometimes we just hit a rough patch like you do in midair caused by different factors. Sometimes it's the enemy. Sometimes it's our own doing. Sometimes it's other people. There's many different factors and it can be unpredictable. It's like, you know, you're driving along in your car and there's a suddenly you hit a pothole and that jolts your car. Amen. But guess what? If you get knocked off your faith feet, sometimes you just got to catch your breath and then stand back up. And as you stand up, God will help you. I love the scripture in Job that says, when I fall, I shall arise. It doesn't say if you fall. It says when I fall. God's mercies are new every morning. So when I fall, I shall arise. You know, church, this too is going to pass. In most cases, this too shall pass. So keep your composure. Keep your faith. Hold on to your hope. Because it's an anchor for your soul. Okay, just as we begin to close, I want to take a look at how Jesus overcame the fray of life. So let's step into Matthew chapter 26, and we're going to look at verses 38 to 41. And the way that he did it is he simply stepped into his prayer closet. He stepped into his prayer closet. Verse 38. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, O Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou will. And he cometh unto the disciples and he found them asleep. And he said unto Peter, What? Could you not just watch with me one hour? Watch and pray. He gives us a key here to staying and living above the fray. 
Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. How many of you know that to be true? You can have it in your heart. You can make a decision tonight. I'm going to live above the fray. And something will happen this week. And it will pull you back down. And you will have to choose to rise up and rise above it. Amen? It's in your choosing. Now, a couple of things that I see here. When you watch and pray, when you're praying, as Pastor Tom so beautifully um, spoke about this morning, God will give you, he will show you things to come. As you pray in the spirit, you'll pray out mystery. You'll pray out things you don't know. And just as he he, he, um, admonished us this morning, that as we pray, he'll even give us scriptures to pray. He'll give us prayers to pray. He helps our infirmities when we know not how to pray as we ought. He prays through us. And it's the perfect will of God. And that will strengthen you. Hallelujah. Now, another thing, he took people with him. Now, there's a time to pull yourself aside, and he certainly was doing that, and he certainly did that on many occasions. But notice, he took with him Peter, James, and John. Now, that just wasn't all the disciples, was it? He took those that he knew had the spirit of faith on the inside and called them into his prayer closet to stand with him. Because church, we're not called to stand alone. We're not called to isolate ourselves. The enemy wants to isolate you. He wants to get you over here by yourself because the first banana that leaves the bunch is the first one to get peeled. Amen? Don't allow it. That's living in the fray. Sometimes, you know, maybe your emotions are hurt. Your feelings are hurt. Maybe it's just that you're in strife with a situation or a person. Maybe it's just that depression is knocking at your door. And it's, 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 you want to stay under the covers with your head buried. We've all been there. But you got to make a what? A choice. I'm not staying in the bed with the covers over my head. I'm not isolating. I'm going to get out and I'm going to step out of it. And I'm going to live above the fray. Amen? Not beneath it, but above it. The other thing to know is that God is with you. The Holy Spirit is with you. So other people are with you. God is with you. And you can do it. And you know one thing that I find about having others come alongside of me in situations is that I can borrow their strength. I can borrow their help. Amen? Amen. We all have anchors in life. And those anchors are places that have anchored us in God where we have testimonies of how God caused a breakthrough for us. And as we share those, we share one another's burdens. Amen? And a shared burden's what? It's a half a burden. 
And it helps you to rise above and to live above the fray. And you know, there's people, surround yourself with people that, oh, they have a spirit of joy. A spirit of laughter where you just... You know, it's the joy of the Lord Church that's our strength. You get around other people and you laugh. Just the other night, Ingrid and I, we had so much on our plate, but we decided we were going to go to the movie. I haven't been to the movie in three years. Thank you for, you know, connecting on that because we had a great time. We enjoyed it. It was just a reprieve. We watched a good movie and we had a lot of laughs. And you know, I was ready for the next day, Ingrid. It was really great. Amen. We even had ice cream after. (laughs) So hallelujah. It's our choice. A lot of times it's our choice. Amen. And we just have to choose that we are going to live above the fray. Hallelujah. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the ability to live above the fray. We will take courage. We will be of good courage. Because we know that you've overcome. You've overcome the enemy. You've overcome anything that's in our future. And we thank you, Lord. For helping us day by day, moment by moment, thought by thought, emotion by emotion, to live and walk in the Spirit. Amen? You know, we talked about uh, Jefferson and Adams, and you know, you can look back at history, and there's somewhat of an advantage because you see the outcome. But I'm telling you, You can look out into your future and by faith, you can see the outcome. Hallelujah. How about it, church? Amen. Amen. Glory to God.